epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, from March Madness and NCAA.com. Uh, coming up on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined later in the show by Chris Holman, the head coach of Ohio State. The Gavit Games are going to host Villanova later this week. Marcus Howard, potential first-team All-American. Uh, there's a feature that we did with him that you can see on NCAA.com in March Madness. Well, Marquette has Purdue at home in the Gavit Games, and they're at rival Wisconsin later this week. Marcus Howard also started his senior season with 38 points in an opener. Pretty good. And also coming up on the podcast, Brendan Quinn who is a writer for The Athletic, one of the best in the country, covers Michigan State and Michigan. Uh, Brendan was there Sunday night in East Lansing for what was an unbelievably emotional game. Uh, Cassius Winston, the preseason player of the year, not just in the Big Ten, but also nationally. His brother Zachary was killed by an oncoming train over the weekend. Uh, We didn't know if he was going to play. He played. He played really well, as usual, and we're going to talk to Brandon about what it meant to just be in that environment, uh, clearly for Cassius, and we should never tell someone how to how to grieve, but, you know, it, it was a good thing for him to be around people that love him, thousands of people that love him, uh, and really unbelievable. Uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing him multiple times, and I know I speak for all our colleagues at March Madness and NCAA.com and tell, uh, tell him and the Michigan State family how deeply sorry we are, and we send our condolences and our thoughts, prayers, everything, and hope that he finds strength and peace during this difficult time. So, on March Madness, on NCAA.com, we have our in-season, first, Power 36. Topping the Power 36 is Kentucky, number one team in the country, after knocking off Michigan State in the Champions Classic last week. So you can check out that. I didn't really mess with the top four too much. Same four teams, just in a different order. You know, I think in terms of my climbers right now, I would say that Arizona was the biggest climber, up to 15 from not being ranked when they knocked off Illinois on Sunday night. Washington going up seven spots after beating Baylor. Florida State wasn't ranked, knocked off Florida, put them up high. And in the back end, I would say a big climber would be Oregon State at 26 after knocking off Iowa State. Great win for the Beavers. That's where I've got them. So let's get to our headlines. Kevin Willard joins us courtside. Coach, how is uh, Miles Powell? Yeah, he he sprained his ankle pretty good. Uh, you know, he came down and just, you know, really just stepped right on that guy's foot and rolled it. That was Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard on Miles Powell. Uh, here's the deal with Powell. We don't know if he's going to be out, how long he's going to be out. They got Michigan State this week. They have the battle for Atlantis coming up where they open with Oregon. They still have to go to St. Louis this weekend, actually. Have Iowa State, Maryland. They got a ridiculously tough schedule. Miles Powell scored 27 points in the opener in 30 minutes. 
The ankle injury happened four minutes into the Stony Brook game, so he didn't score. Hopefully he'll be back, but it's a major loss if he's not there for Seton Hall. Headline number two. I think we saw James Wiseman ruled ineligible only 37 minutes later. All of a sudden now he's going to play and ends up starting the game. There's a lot more to come with this story, but here's what we know. He's playing tonight. James Wiseman. As of this taping, he is scheduled to play against Oregon on Tuesday night in Portland, Oregon. But here's what we know. The seven foot one freshman center and potential number one 2020 NBA draft pick. Look, he scored 17 points and grabbed nine boards and had five blocks in 25 minutes on Friday in Memphis's 92-46 victory over UIC. But just hours earlier, he won a temporary restraining order in Shelby County to play after being ruled ineligible by the NCAA. Now, on Friday, the university issued a statement that the school and the NCAA determined in 2017 when James Weissman was in high school, Penny Hardaway, then a high school coach at East High School in Memphis, paid $11,500 to help Weissman's family move from Nashville to Memphis, which the school said was unknown to James Weissman. Now, at the time, Hardaway was considered a booster. He had donated money to the school. And, of course, it was his alma mater. He was not the Memphis head coach at the time. That happened last year. So, in the statement, the school said that Weissman was deemed eligible in May of 2019. And in the release, they did acknowledge and accept that violations of NCAA bylaws had occurred. But, at the same time, they were supporting Weissman and Hardaway. Weissman played also in the season opener, scoring 28 points, grabbing 11 boards in a win over South Carolina State. But here's the key fact. Once Weissman won the injunction, the temporary injunction, the school in Hardaway didn't have to play him, but they chose to do so. The NCAA later on Friday said that Memphis was notified that Weissman was likely ineligible and that the school is responsible for ensuring student-athletes are eligible to play. After that game, Penny Hardaway said that Weissman's situation is ongoing. The whole process is an ongoing process, but he will continue to play. But clearly, a resolution will need to come soon since that emergency court order was temporary. Headline number three. 34 points, 6 of 11 from beyond the arc. Debut for Cole Anthony. Well, Cole Anthony of North Carolina, we knew he was going to have a monster freshman year. Just didn't know he was going to be this good. He's our National Player of the Week. 34 points in his opener. 11 boards, 5 assists. Followed up by 20, 10, and 3. Opener against Notre Dame at home. Second game at UNC Wilmington. Pretty impressive for Cole Anthony. He's going to be a National Player of the Year candidate. Not just Freshman of the Year candidate. And the reality is, his top competition for freshman of the year is going to be either James Wiseman, we don't know his long-term status, and Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Uh, so Cole Anthony's got a great shot to win national freshman of the year. So those are your top headlines of week one. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Brendan Quinn from The Athletic. And I say this, I don't think there's anyone who covers a beat better than Brendan, and I'm not just saying this because he's in front, of, you know, talking to me right now. <laughs> so, thanks, man. Young journalists, 
follow the way Brendan covers Michigan State and Michigan. He does it better than anyone, and I envy you. I think you just do a phenomenal job. So I've buttered you up, but seriously. Thank you. I'm a big fan. So let's segue to the difficult thing on Sunday night. You know, we've all had to deal with very difficult stories over the course of our careers. It's hard not to be emotional when, you know, there's a tragedy. And in this case, Zachary Winston passed away when he was hit by a train uh, early Saturday and uh, or it was early Sunday, if I'm correct here. Uh, Saturday night. So Saturday night in Michigan was a student at Albion College. Most recently, their team had an exhibition game against Michigan State and Cassius Winston. So this is, I mean, it just seems so raw, seems so fresh because he'd been on campus uh, just within the last month. So let, let's first unpack a couple of things. Just take me through what you experienced in terms of what you saw and felt Sunday night at the Breslin Center when, to the surprise, I think, of a lot of people, Cassius Winston was there uh, from shoot-around on and, and participated, started, and had a phenomenal game. Yeah, I, you used the right word there when you said raw, and it was one of those things where, you know, it was a Sunday 7 o'clock game. Maybe if it were a noon game or a 2 o'clock game, I'm not sure if he would have been there or, or been able to play. And who, I mean, who knows? It's, but, you know, it was the day had kind of unfolded and it was, I'm sure just a completely surreal kind of situation over there internally. But, you know, for Cash's part and everything, it was, it was difficult to watch a guy kind of live all of that out right out in the open. You know, he came out for warmups and everyone can't help. It. It's totally natural, but like everyone's just staring at him, right? Everyone's watching this one guy who is, you know, as grief stricken as, as, anyone can experience and you know he tried to bottle it up i guess um he was there his his younger brother was with him his father was there and he uh i think i tweeted that like it, it seemed like he was kind of doing an impression of himself going through warm-ups and he got through it and he got through the game and as one administrator over there put it when i said you know man i'm just i'm stunned that he's even able to be in public and the answer was you know well consider the alternative you know, what's he going to do, sit in the locker room and, and sob or, or sit on the bench and, and not be part of the team while being part of the team or go back to Detroit and just, you know, have to go kind of face to face with all this grief. Playing was probably the most natural thing for him to do. And uh, he got through it. It was one of the hardest things that I think probably, you know, Tom Izzo said it was the hardest game he's ever coached. It's one of the hardest games I know I've ever watched. I can't even fathom what it was like to play. So, yeah, it was just terribly terribly sad because it doesn't really make a big difference that Cassius happens to be one of like the nicest best guys that that you'd ever want to kind of be around in college basketball or cover in college basketball but you know that's kind of been his mark for four years at Michigan State is everyone likes him and uh I don't know why it makes it that like even a little bit different but for some reason it does that it's just it's kind of impossibly hard to see someone like that have to deal with something that no one should have to go through. You know, Brendan, you have, I think, a, a different perspective as well because you grew up around an athletic department. Your father was a coach at St. Joe's. And, you know, I never, and I don't think anyone else should, try to tell someone how to grieve. But you could right. tell watching the game on Big Ten Network on Sunday night that it was important for him to be around people. And look, today as we're taping as a Monday and every day is going to get harder and harder mm -hmm. uh, when you got to go through the funeral and all those kinds of things. But in that moment to be around friends, family, and actually have like 
you know, over 10,000 people supporting you in a raw emotion. What can you think about, like, just what you grew up around in terms of athletics and team, uh, where you think in this instance it definitely helped him? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something about, well, first of all, I don't know, I don't pretend to be any kind of expert on on tragedy, suffering, grieving, whatever, but, you know, being around people is is enormous, and, you know, Cassius being a kid from Detroit, in-state kid, knows everyone, he's been around Michigan State since, I mean, he started being recruited when he was in, like, eighth grade, so, I mean, he's he grew up there the same way he would, you know, if if, yeah, family member working in the athletic department or whatever. And it is just, it's one of those things where it's just a safe place where you kind of know everyone has your back. And uh, that was definitely the feeling that I got kind of watching Cassius operate there because it seemed like, you know, one of the hardest things to watch and you feel bad kind of just watching everything that someone does. But, you know, in an instance like this, as a reporter and observer, you know, you, you kind of have to just, follow his every step and one of the things that really struck me was anytime the game was being played or someone was coming over to him or he got to dribble the ball or was talking to a coach he looked like Cassius Winston and then every time he sat down and play stopped or there wasn't someone talking to him and you could just see it you know you just see that the thoughts everything comes back in that in that moment so you know until you can deal with that grief, whether it be with a counselor, whether it be with your family, whether it be with whatever, you know, being able to compartmentalize so many things is, is a challenge here. And, you know, for yesterday to be the first day of this new reality for him, it seemed therapeutic to be able to kind of have such a um, natural distraction, if that makes sense. I mean, I also thought that having his father and his brother there. It was probably the same thing for them. Yeah. But that probably helped you know, them. Too. Go to the basketball court. This it's a basketball family. Reg, uh, Reg Winston, his father was an assistant coach at U of D Jesuit, where he went to high school. Reg has spent his entire life around basketball. His younger brother Kai is a player at Albion. He was a teammate of Zachary. He played at U of D Jesuit. It's a basketball family. And um, you know, Tom Izzo told the story of at one point after the team walk around, walked out in the court, and it was the the three Winstons you know, just kind of tossing the ball around and rebounding for Cassius. And it was just, you know, it's kind of one of those, this is probably where you belong right now because this is, you know, your kind of natural habitat in the world. And when something like this happens, that's a good place to go. So I don't want to hold you to anything on this because we are taping on Monday. A lot of people aren't going to be listening until Tuesday. We don't know what's going to happen later in the week when they play Seton Hall. So I, I don't know if I should hold you to anything, but I mean, at this juncture, as we're taping Monday morning, have you given any indication of what could occur for that game? Uh, I have not. They, they didn't say everything was kind of so new last night. There was no kind of that was really far off the radar. You know, the family will obviously do whatever it feels is, is best in terms of planning arrangements and, you know, how Cassis handles it. But I wouldn't pretend to have any idea. So this is a hard segue, but just for our purposes, I just want to gently shift to the actual basketball for a moment. We were both in New York for the opener and there was a lot of expectations. They didn't play as well. Kentucky, obviously Tyrus Maxey, I should say more than anyone played great and you know, they lost, but doesn't mean anything in the big picture, but what, what's your sense right now with this group, especially th that there's really 
we, we just don't know if Langford's going to come back, when he'll come back, if he'll come back. You know, this might be the team. What's your sense of where they are and what they potentially still could be? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true on Langford. I do think that things are kind of just still being settled a little bit rotation-wise, and that'll probably, as it typically goes for Tom Izzo, you know, he'll play as many guys as possible for the first half of the year and kind of whittle that thing down to maybe a tighter, you know, eight-man rotation as the uh, as conference play kind of reaches its, its you know, key moments and things like that. Um, but Rocket Watts is still kind of getting his feet under him and trying to figure out how to play at, like, maybe 65 miles an hour as opposed to 100. He's getting there. He, he looked a little bit more adjusted last night. Aaron Henry's still growing into a role of being a guy that you can put the ball in his hand and say, go get a bucket. You know, at the four spot, Thomas Kithier is still kind of um, growing into a more prominent role that is is a big ask for um, a guy that kind of has a, a really good all-around skill set. He's one of those, you know, nothing spectacular, but everything's accounted for type guys. But, you know, what happens with the Joey Hauser waiver? You know, if that thing comes through, that changes a lot of dynamics here. So there's a lot unsettled, but I think that's okay. And the Kentucky game... You know, they missed a ton of wide open threes. The foul trouble kind of set everything sideways when you lose Aaron Henry two and a half minutes into the game. Um, and then, and they're not going to see a lot of ball screen defense like Kentucky has anytime soon. So uh, that's the other plus for, for state, but I agree with you. I think it's, I didn't take away too many negatives from that Kentucky game, but you know, they have Cassius Winston, they have Xavier Tillman, they have Aaron Henry, any team in the country would take, those three is their starting point. And quickly, Brennan, just to wrap up, just your quick impressions of seeing Michigan under Juwan Howard. What are they? You want to talk about unsettled. That's that's about as unsettled as it gets right now. Um, it seems like the coaches are still learning and adjusting to what they have in the rotation. Um, not having Franz Wagner is a major blow right now in terms of scoring and especially shooting. And at the same time, the players are still learning how to play a completely different brand of basketball. It looks like a lot of guys trying to change some natural instincts in real time, which is, as you know, as anyone knows in basketball, brutally difficult. So I think it's going to take, you know, 10, 15 games for us to really have any kind of impression of what this team really looks like in this kind of new model, new era. Um, Think about it. You know, none of these players have played for, all but one of the current coaching staff, all four members of the coaching staff, none of them have ever worked together. So there are, there's moving pieces all over the place and it's going to take a while before the right hand knows what the left hand is doing to use a terrible cliche. Read his work on the athletic, get a subscription, does unbelievable things. Brendan, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, my conversation with Ohio state head coach, Chris Holman, the Buckeyes and the Gavit games will take on Villanova. Wednesday night at the shot. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And before we get to our guests, Chris Holtman and Marcus Howard, it's time for Katz Ranks. Top 10 from last week. All right, this could be a team winning. It could be a play. It could be just overall, essentially just an outstanding performance. We're going to start at number 10. New Mexico's Jaquan Lyle. Averaging 13 and a half points, eight assists, and four and a half turnovers for the 2 0 Lobos. He sat out the last two seasons, transferred from Ohio State, and last season was out with an Achilles injury. 
So, for Lyle to make these kind of contributions to New Mexico, a team that I think could finish in the top three in the Mountain West, that's pretty impressive. At number nine, arguably the best singular performance so far this season, UMass Lowell's Christian Utete, 51 points in a 13-point win at Long Island University. At number eight, Virginia Tech freshman Landers Noli II. He opened up his career and the ACC by scoring 30 in a seven-point win at Clemson. Pretty good for Mike Young to have a player like that to start his Virginia Tech career. At number seven, Utah scored 143 points in a win over Mississippi Valley State. Utah only gave up 49. Now look, the competition doesn't matter. It's a whole lot of points. At number six, I was there in person. Virginia's defense throttled Syracuse. They held the Orange to 34 points, 5 of 29 on threes, 23% overall from the field in a 48-34 win at the Carrier Dome to open the season and the ACC for the reigning, and learn my lesson here, it's reigning, not defending, reigning national champs. At number five, Northeastern's Jordan Rowland is averaging 40.5 points a game shooting 65% overall, 50% on threes. Those two games that got him those numbers, two wins for the Huskies over local rivals, BU, that game was on the road, and and against Harvard at home. At number four, late Sunday night, Arizona freshman point guard Nico Mannion scored 23 points, dished out nine assists in the Wildcats. Very impressive, 90-69 victory over Illinois. At number three, Michigan State's Cassius Winston. He had 17 points, 11 assists, and one turnover Sunday night. He did this under extraordinary circumstances, as we detailed earlier with our conversation with Brendan Quinn. He did this playing in less than 24 hours after his brother Zachary was killed by an oncoming train in Michigan. At number two, and our top two will always be this, Going to go with our team and player of the week. Number two, North Carolina's Cole Anthony. He opened the season with 34 points, 11 boards, and five assists in his debut to knock off Notre Dame. And at number one, Kentucky behind Tyrese Maxey's 26 points, knocked off number one Michigan State in the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden to open the season. Now, I did have three honorable mentions I want to mention here. DePaul's Charlie Moore. He's averaging 19.3 points, five assists, and 1.7 turnovers for the 3-0 Blue Demons, and that's after he won a waiver to play immediately following a transfer from Kansas. So he's gone Cal, Kansas, to Paul. Dayton's Obi Toppin scored 29 points in a win over Indiana State. He's a potential 8-10 Player of the Year candidate. And a shout-out to Merrimack, beat Northwestern on the road. Nickel State beat Pitt on the road. UC Riverside and Southern Utah beat Nebraska on the road. Those were all by games, no return against Power 5 schools. And that is your Cats Ranks. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Ohio State head coach Chris Holtman. And the Buckeyes in the Gavit games this week will take on Villanova. They're off uh, to a 2-0 start. Uh, and what a lot of teams have done the last couple of years, Ohio State has done, which is play a pretty big-time game to open the season. Uh, Chris, you guys, second year in a row, opening with in-state rivals Cincinnati, 
it seems like that's going to be the new normal for most teams, which I think is great. Uh, what do you think about, you know, trying to tip off the season with a high-profile game like that? You know, I, I do like it, Andy. I, I think it uh, creates some anticipation and excitement about your season, which is always a good thing. And, you know, we've always talked about, and so many in your profession have talked about, you know, the calendar and competing for eyeballs this time of year with, with football and others. So I think to have some attractive games is a good thing. But from a coach's perspective, I, I think having a game like that where you learn about your group is a really good thing. Now, now I, I went into it with some trepidation given some of our, our challenges here early in our schedule uh, with, with how young we are. And time will tell on, on whether or not uh, you know it was a good decision to play kind of who we're playing here early. Well, it just also feels like you can get a good barometer, then you sort of dip into – uh, at least maybe one or two lower level games, and then you dip back up, and you know you ride sort of a little bit of that roller coaster. I mean, look back to last year where the Duke Kentucky game to tip off the season. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Duke blasted Kentucky, and you know soon after John Calipari said, "Look, I think I got a team that can compete for the national championship." He got their attention. Yeah, you know, there's all this hype as always there is for a lot of those high profile freshmen. How much can you use it in that regard? to get your guys' attention, you know, early, win or lose? I think it does do that. Yeah, I think it does do that, and probably more so if you lose. But but I think win or lose, because the reality is when freshmen are going into a game like that, when they're going into any college game, you know, we played last night against UMass Lowell, and you, you, your, your freshmen get, they just realize that there's a lot of good players out there. And then obviously we have Villanova on Wednesday, and we're going to see one of the very best teams in the country and one of the best programs in the country. So I think the immediate feedback you get from those games when you're young is a, is a really good thing. It, it informs the players uh, probably work ethic and, and their commitment to continue to get better as the season goes on. And I think you see that with, with young teams all, all over the country, with teams in general, but certainly us who are playing, you know, six or seven freshmen and sophomore in our nine man rotation, it's important for us. So where does the series stand after you know you guys have done a home and home? You know, we've not revisited it, Andy, but I, I do think that uh, we'll, we'll look at it again for sure. You know, Cincinnati, Xavier, Dayton are all programs that, um, you know, we've tried to play others this year. We play Kent State, which will be a great game and a real challenge for us. So, you know, we, we've, we've tried to do something next year. We're playing Akron, but I, I do think we'll revisit the, the home and home with Cincinnati. Well, the bottom line is that it's a game that I think ultimately will help you in terms of quad one, quad two. And anytime you get those in state or not, you know, that's a positive. All right, let's move on to Villanova. You know, they're young in a lot of key spots. You've got them at home. When you look at defending them, and they've tended to be obviously more guard-oriented uh, over the last, you know, during their run here with Jay Wright. Yep. You've got a freshman point guard in DJ Carton who's certainly off to a very good start. How do you attack Villanova? Well, as you know, with watching them, their best teams are always elite in, in both areas. You don't see many flaws or weaknesses in them. They're, they're elite offensively. They're elite defensively. So uh, I think – we don't have a ton of uh, film. We obviously have some, all the film from last year, but they do have some new guys. Uh, they just played once. They played Army, I believe, opening night, yeah. um, and then don't play us again until 
until Wednesday. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a great early season test. They always bring tremendous poise, you know, great players, and they're they're so well coached and so tough. So, we're going to have to withstand uh, all of that against, I think, a really talented team. So, when you were Butler, there was an understanding that they were the benchmark. They've won two national championships. I got to believe you don't have to necessarily do that with Ohio State players. Uh, if they're paying anything attention to the national scene, yeah. you know, they would know what that name on the front of the chest means. Absolutely. You know, I, I, they've, they've become a blue blood, I believe. I yes. think they're a blue blood in college basketball. Don't you? Yes, I agree. And it's a credit to, to what Jay's done there. I mean, that's you win two national championships in, in a five-year span, a 10-year span. You're, you're a blue blood. And I think that that's who they are. And I think they'll compete again for, for a Final Four. So you're right. You're exactly right. You don't have to – and I'm sure they face that everywhere. You, you don't have to, to grab your players' attention. They, attention. they know – the quality of program we have coming into the Schottenstein Center. All right, so DJ Carton, there's there's so many good point guards, whether they're freshmen, seniors, this season in college basketball. We've already seen this season, you know, what Cole Anthony has done at North Carolina. Uh, Sunday night, Nico Mannion against fellow Big Ten school, Illinois, had a phenomenal game. What have you seen from your point guard that puts him, you know, right there with his classmates? Well, I, I think I think it's it's obviously still early, and he's still – finding his way, you know, in terms of the, the position of playing point guard at, at a really high level, but he's, he's really done a good job in adjusting to things you have to adjust to at this level, you know, the size and length and the speed. Uh, he's really done a good job kind of making some adjustments and slowing down when he's, when he needs to slow down. He is really gifted in a lot of ways but in particular, I've never coached someone that can get from zero to 60 like he can. And I think that's just a real gift. He's got to figure out how to utilize that in an effective way and, and take care of the ball against the size and the length that he's going to play against consistently. And um, that's the continued growth for him. And if he could, as long as he continues to embrace that, um, I think we'll continue to see great progress from him. Obviously, Caleb Wesson has to play well for you guys to be an elite yep. team. What what do you want to see? The Caleb Wesson that had the 13 and 13 against Lowell, the double-double, uh, the Caleb Wesson against Cincinnati, who he rebounded well but got in foul trouble, you know, only scored eight points. Which one do you need much more consistently? I mean, he's getting boards, but do you need him to be much more of a scorer like we saw against Lowell? I, I think he's – honestly, I think he's just got to play the game. I think he's got to play play the game uh, – in terms of making the right play offensively, which he's done at an elite well, he, elite level, he, he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to be our leading scorer, and he's going to score the ball for us. There's no question. What he's got to continue to do is impact the game on both ends. He's in great shape right now. He's got to continue to be in great shape, and I think his he's he continues to diversify his game. Uh, he's made three threes in the first three uh, two games. He's had, he had five assists, one turnover yesterday, a double double. He's playing the game as well as I've as I've ever seen him. And you're right, you're exactly right. He's got to play well for us to be uh, a really good team. He he does. Before I let you go, Chris, I just want one, one more thing on the schedule that uh, you're at a place like Ohio State where everyone expects to play high level games. 
Yeah. And I'm looking here. No offense to SEMO, Southeast Missouri State, which is a game actually I'm doing with you guys for BTN. But from December 4th, when you play uh, at North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, really through the rest of the season. So December 4th on, you have one game (laughs) not against the Power Five, the game actually I'm doing. You know, when you look at that gauntlet, that schedule, from that point, early December through March, what does that make you think? It's going to be the toughest stretch leading into conference play. And obviously, we had two conference games in there that, that I've ever experienced by far, bar none. Nothing, yeah, at nothing North Carolina, here. Penn State, at Minnesota. After the game yeah. I'm doing, you got Kentucky on a neutral. West Virginia. And then West Virginia on a neutral. Yeah, it's 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 brutal. You know, it's it's really brutal. I think what you're hoping as a coach is you you, you learn a lot, but you don't get you know, beat up physically and mentally in that stretch of games. And, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I just noticed that, like, I knew what the, how the schedule was put together, but it just kind of hit me that fact that December on uh, last week. And, um, you know, we, we got to get a lot better but between now and then and withstand some of the some of the bumps you're going to take when you put yourself in those environments. And, uh you know, if I always said if we overschedule, that's my fault. I'll take the blame for it. But I'm glad that we're playing a challenging schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say it's always better to do that. And and the new reality is, and your former conference, the Big East, will see this as well. You can't get 20 league games from January on. You're going to have to play them in December. That's the new yep. normal for a lot of these leagues now. Obviously, you guys have done it for this. I think year three. So there's just going to be more big time games in December because you, you got to fit them in. Yep. No doubt. That's exactly right. And Penn State is a terrific challenge right on the heels of of North Carolina and then Minnesota as well. It, it's it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a great uh, a rough couple couple weeks there, but we're excited about it. We are excited about it. Chris, I appreciate it. And uh, I know we'll be watching against Villanova on Wednesday night. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Andy. Great being with you. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Marcus Howard. From Marquette, started the season off, kind of the way he finished it, 38 points in the season opener. And uh, Marquette's got a pretty big week. They're going to play Purdue in the Gavit games. That game's at home midweek. And then big rivalry game in the state. A lot of times it's usually in December this time. In November at Wisconsin on the weekend. Let's first deal with your start, Marcus. How well were you feeling it there at the beginning? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, it's always good just to get back out there and playing um, against somebody else. So I know all of our guys are really excited um, for the season to finally be started. We had a pretty, pretty long um, off season and preseason with, you know, being here for our foreign trip and stuff like that. But it was just really exciting just to get back out there to play. Um, And I know everybody's looking forward to this week and the season in a whole. So no one's expecting to score 38 every game. But uh, how much is that what we're going to see where – Things are going to flow through you. And if you've got the hot hand, just keep feeding you. Um, I think it's definitely just going to be a game-by-game kind of thing. Um, You know, every game is going to be different. It's going to call for different things. So, you know, whatever the game calls for at that time, that's what we're going to roll with. And, I mean, we have so many guys that can make things happen offensively and defensively. I know it's going to be definitely something we use to our advantage. So I I would just see it being, you know, a game-to-game thing, you know, calling for what's best for the team at that moment. What do you think the scouting report is on you? I don't know. Just kind of – try to run, run me off the line I guess things of that sort but um I'm not too sure I mean uh I'm sure there's other things that are said but um most of all just trying to trying to make things hard for me um as best as you can but 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't really be too sure what a scouting report would be on me. I mean, what what makes it difficult for you? I'm not I'm not too sure. I mean, not not much really phases me that much. It's more so just trying to make sure that whatever the game calls for, that I'm able to do it, and you know, I have to be able to make those decisions on the fly and um, be able to see that when the game time comes. But I wouldn't really say there's too much that makes things extremely difficult for me. It's more so just me making the right decisions. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think you could put yourself in a box where you say, oh, you know, you got to have a big guard on them because you can shoot over people, you can find the openings. Oh, you got to have someone quick on them and he can't get by you. That's not the case either. How much do you think the fact that you've been able to diversify your game has caused problems, you know, defensively for the opponent? No, I think this has been something that um, I've always kind of had in my um, in my repertoire is, you know, just being able to um, – make things happen over different type of defenders. You know, I've seen a lot of different types of defenders, you know, on me. So you just have to adapt and adjust. I mean, that's just what's come with the experience of playing in college for three going on four years. So um, just having that to kind of fall back on, just that overall experience is something that, you know, I try to take advantage of and use to the best of my ability. How much do you embrace a week like this? Two Big Ten teams, one rivalry, one at home, one on the road, to where, you know – this could help, not that it, even if you went 0-2, it's not going to change the direction of the season, but there's certainly momentum that could build if you guys have a great week. Oh, no, um, we're, de- we're definitely looking forward to a week like this week. And, um, you know, two great teams, you know, two greatly coached teams. And just, you know, to have that this early in our season, we think it's going to be really good for us, you know, considering uh, the schedule we have throughout the year. So for us to play against really high-level teams this early, I think is definitely going to be great opportunity for our team and i know we're going to make the most of those opportunities as well you're a senior what has the wisconsin rivalry meant to you and it's crazy you saying the senior you know it's just it's just uh it's crazy how time flies but you know the rivalry has been you know one of those things that you truly embrace while being here at marquette it makes you a better player and a better person and you know to be able to compete against or and have a rival like wisconsin is definitely a privilege you know um each and every year, you know, it seems like it gets better and better. So I'm looking forward to this being my last one, and hopefully we can be on the winning end of that. Uh, one last thing, Marcus. Uh, Miles Powell is hurt right now, ankle sprain. We don't know how long he'll be out. We know how fragile this is. You guys share sort of the preseason hype in the Big East. No one wants to see anyone else hurt. What does that tell you, though, about the marathon long distance of the season, how fragile every game is, how we can't take sort of anything for granted of being on the on the court at a given night? Uh, first and foremost, my prayers is out, goes out to him. Um, never want to see that happen to anybody, um, especially a player like him. Um, but, you know, you just definitely do have to take each and every game one step at a time and just appreciate those moments because you never really know when certain things could happen to where it limits you from playing. So, you know, the, the year is a long year. You have to take it one game at a time. But um, that's kind of an approach we've taken as a team is, you know, taking one step at a time, one day at a time and being in the moment. So I'm just embracing each and every moment I can to either be on the court with my team or just be um, in the same room as my team. So those moments are precious, especially now me being a senior. Um, those are definitely times I can't and won't take for granted. It also just shows how much the understudies better be ready to go because you never know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, everybody's got to be ready when their name's called. Marcus, appreciate it. I know you guys got a big week. Uh, appreciate you taking some time out for us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. And coming up next on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports and March Madness. He's going to challenge me on my picks. What did I get right last week? And what do I need to get right this week? He's coming up. 
right, everyone, welcome to what we like to call March Chadness here, because this is when Chad Acock challenges me on all things, uh, and for these purposes, it'll be on games, because Chad, how did I do, before I defend myself, how did I do last week in week one? Week one, you went four and six. It's it's a respectable number. You know, I mean, week one, we haven't seen the teams play. We don't know how teams are going to look. Uh, we had a lot of close games. A couple of them could have bounced your way, but you did go four and six, uh, including a win uh, in St. Mary's where you picked against your Badgers, Andy. Well, and, and in my defense, Kansas, 28 turnovers, still a one-possession game. They should have won that game. Baylor blew a big lead against Washington up in Anchorage. And right. uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess Michigan State, Kentucky was a pick 'em for the most part. So if there's two that I think easily could have gone my way, it would have been Baylor, Washington, and Kansas Duke. Is that fair? Oh, that's fair. And then on top of that, the Florida game just seemed yes. to surprise everybody with them losing at home. Yeah, I mean that that actually looked like you know we threw that in at the end. I mean, I kind of felt like oh, we'll just throw that in, not respecting, and we should have. Florida State's dominance of late in this rivalry. Six straight. That's right. Yep, six straight. Uh, but with that being said, Andy, let's jump into this week. We picked 10 last week. We're going right. to pick 10 this week. We're going to start off Tuesday night, number 14, Oregon, versus number 13, Memphis, in Portland for the Phil Knight Invitational. Who do you like there? All right, so as we are taping, James Weissman is scheduled to play. I checked on that. So he will be on the floor as we're talking. So with that being said, the expectation is, oh, I'm going to go with Memphis. Well, that would be wrong. And the reason is, even if he does play, as talented as as he is, I like Oregon's experience much more than Memphis. This is the kind of game where I feel that Memphis is going to have a couple of these, where they're going against an experienced team. Think of the backcourt for Oregon. Peyton Pritchard and Anthony Mathis, who, by the way, went for 30 against Boise State. He's the transfer from New Mexico. I just think the experienced backcourt at Memphis, a long way from home out in Portland. They're playing with the Blazers, play at the Moda Center. I'm going with the Ducks. Yeah, I think it's a good point, playing a long way from home. It, it's a neutral site game, but it is in Portland. It's more of a neutral court. Yeah, there you go. The nightcap of that, though, Oklahoma, Oregon State, again in Portland. Who do you like in that one? So I did rank Oklahoma in my power 36. They were the team after Big 12 Media Day where I didn't know where to put them. Clearly, they are better than I think, not just me, but a lot of people thought. They've had a good start to the season. They beat Minnesota up in South Dakota. But uh, Trace Tinkle is having a phenomenal start to the season. Uh, Was massive in their home win over Iowa State. By the way, one of my picks last week that I got right. So, hey, I picked the Beavers last week. They won. I'm going to stay with them. That's a fair pick, too. Oklahoma, though, they are coming off a neutral site uh, win in uh, South Dakota. So we'll see if they can keep that momentum going. Uh, Wednesday, though, number 23 LSU at VCU. It's Will Wade's return to the Siegel Center. I think this is one of the toughest games to select uh, of not just this slate, you know, but of the last two weeks. Because, you know, Marcus Santos Silva for VCU had a – Phenomenal game to start the season. They're at home. They're going to be amped to take down Will Wade and LSU. VCU does not get schools like LSU in their building that often. But Javonta Smart, Emmett Williams, they've had a great start for LSU. I think I undervalued LSU a little bit in the preseason. So I think, and we've actually seen a lot of road teams go in and win over the last week, the first week of the season. I'm going to go with LSU 
and Will Wade going into VCU and getting the W. I know LSU's the ranked team, but even that just kind of feels like a bold pick. I like VCU to get the upset there. I've been to the Siegel Center. That place can get rocking. I think it's one of the more underrated venues in the country. So that'll be a fun one to watch Wednesday night. And I will say a little sidebar here. I think the A-10 really needs that game because the A-10, you know, Davidson lost to Auburn. Rhode Island lost to Maryland. Uh, St. Bonaventure, a team that was supposed to be, you know, a contender at the top, they're 0-2. This is the kind of game that the conference – really could need, uh, you know, should should get or, you know, would love to have at this early juncture of the season. Right. Let's take a look at the Gavit games. Wednesday night, number 10 Villanova at number 16 Ohio State. We saw Villanova look pretty good in their win over Army. Some freshmen, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, didn't look like a freshman, had 24 and 13. Uh, but Ohio State also had a good win, good win against Cincinnati. Who do you like in that one? That's a great game. No, it is. Uh, and as we heard earlier on the podcast from Ohio State head coach Chris Holtman, he's feeling pretty good about their start, knocking off Cincinnati and beating uh, UMass Lowell. And in that second game, that was the Caleb Wesson that he needs. Double-double for Wesson. Did not get that against Cincinnati. I think they're going to get the better Wesson performance against Villanova. I think it's going to be a late possession game. I like Ohio State with a little bit more experience in a couple of key spots. They both have young guards. DJ Carton for Ohio State, Villanova. Well, actually, I should rephrase that. Colin Gillespie is obviously a veteran for Villanova, but they've got younger wings, I should say, uh, for Villanova. But I, I like Ohio State in this role at home. Uh, they've got a ridiculously hard schedule beginning in early December. We talked about that with Chris Holtman. But I, I'm going to go with the Buckeyes here at home. All right. Also Wednesday night, Purdue at Marquette. We saw Purdue fall at home to Texas. Can they bounce back at Marquette? What do you think? Well, it was a tough home loss to Texas. But, you know, in this instance, and we just talked to Marcus Howard here on the podcast as well, uh, this is a huge week for for the Golden Eagles where they host Purdue in the Gavit games. Then they're at Wisconsin in a rivalry game over the weekend. Uh, I kind of feel like this is a split week for Marquette. Um I know I'm sort of hedging a little advance here on this other pick that we're going to go to, but I think they beat Purdue, and Purdue has a little bit of a rocky start losing two of their bigger games in the first week and a half of the season. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. One thing I want to want to know in that game is how Marquette is going to kind of defend Purdue uh, with their size. You know, Matt Harms is what seven two, seven three. I mean, who's going to guard him? Theo John, he's only what six eight, six nine. Yeah, Trevion Williams uh, obviously has great yeah. size as well. So we'll we'll see how that one shakes out. Moving to Thursday night, though, Penn State, Georgetown. Kind of an underrated matchup here. A couple of teams that you're high on with March Madness aspirations. Who you got in that one? All right, so I'm actually going to go with the road team here. Penn State, you know, has looked good early against lesser competition. Uh, Omer Yurtseven for Georgetown has basically saved the Hoyas. They were dead in the water against Mount St. Mary's, and he had to help them come back in that game. They've really started slow and have had to come back and win these games. Uh, the first two for Georgetown. Lamar Stevens versus Yurt Seven is a great matchup. Two veteran bigs, even though Yurt Seven started his career at NC State. But I think Penn State gets this win, which really will get people to start noticing what I've seen with the Nittany Lions, which is they are a tournament team. They are a power 36 type team. And Georgetown, I just think you're going to be better later, but they've just looked a little shaky here early because they, they could have lost both of their first two games. Mm. And then Thursday night, Michigan State Seton Hall. This was a game we've kind of had circled on our calendars, you know, all off season. But with Miles Powell being out, it does kind of dampen the excitement around it. 
Who you got in that one, Andy? Is, is it Michigan State? All right. So had Miles Powell been clear to play, and as we're taping, we're expecting him probably not to play. Um, I don't think he's officially been ruled out yet, but it was expected with the ankle injury. So I'm going to go with the assumption he's not playing. I also don't know, you know, emphatically what Cassius Winston will do. You know, after the absolute tragedy of him losing his brother, Zachary, over the weekend, uh, you know, he ended up playing Sunday night. That was emotional. It was at home. His father and his brother were there as well. So I, I don't know as we're taping whether or not he will be there. We don't know the arrangements and everything. So even with that being said, the chance that, you know, he's there, he's not there, uh, but we probably know Senal's not going to have Powell. I just like the overall depth and experience from Michigan State, especially inside, to go into Seton Hall and win this game. I don't see them losing both of their first early big-time games. They obviously have more coming with Maui and with Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But I think with the assumption that Miles Powell is not going to play, I'm going with Michigan State on the road to win in Newark. All right, and I'm glad you brought up Cassius. We certainly send our condolences uh, to the Winston family. What an incredible performance he had with that double-double, just showing incredible strength. I can't even imagine being in his shoes no, there. No, none of us can. But Saturday, Andy, we have another neutral site game. Number 20, Washington, uh, taken on Tennessee in the James Naismith Classic up in Toronto. What do you got there? Well, I, I, look, the Huskies are going to be well-traveled. Uh, they started the season in Anchorage. Now they're going to be you know, uh, nearly across the country, but this time in Canada and Toronto. Uh, I like the Huskies. Tennessee's going to be a better team later in the season. They lost a lot inside, and we saw uh, in the way Washington beat Baylor in that comeback, it was the combination of Naz Carter on the wing and then those freshman bigs, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. I just don't see Tennessee having, having an answer for that. I think the zone will cause problems for the Vols. I like Washington with a second neutral site win here in the first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, those Washington freshmen certainly grew up quick in that Baylor game. But Sunday, I know you're non-biased. I know you're a total professional, Andy. But surely you're not picking against your Badgers in back-to-back games. Uh, I'm not, but it you know has nothing to do with uh, where my degree is from in this one. I just think that Wisconsin, which you know I did pick St. Mary's last week, as you know, and they almost could have won. It was an overtime game out in South Dakota. But I like the Badgers in this rivalry game. You know, Marquette has Marcus Howard. They don't. But Wisconsin actually has more depth around the perimeter. Nate Reavers actually had a very good game over the weekend. They need him to play better, and he did in that game. I think everyone's going to be amped. This game is usually played in December. This time it's much earlier in the season. And Marquette potentially could be a little bit physically drained after coming off of playing Purdue. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I was talking to Ed Cooley, the Providence coach. They scrimmaged Purdue. And he said to me that what you and they they won the scrimmage, but he says you feel it after playing Purdue. They're just so physical and Marquette's not known to be as physical. I think they're going to feel it. This is a tough back to back for Marquette to play these specific two Big Ten teams. As I said, I think they beat Purdue. I don't think they beat Wisconsin on the weekend. Yeah, It's a great note on Marquette, especially with how physical uh, Purdue's going to be with Marquette. And then our final game that we're going to pick here, Andy, Sunday night. Number 15, Florida at UConn. What do you like there? The Gators going to kind of get back on track this week? Yeah, I, I do think. I'm going to be at that game for us for March Madness. And, you know, Florida's offense was just non-existent. Now, you got to give a lot of credit to Florida State on Sunday. Uh, their length, uh, it's what Leonard Hamilton's teams do. Sometimes they go through scoring droughts and have issues. But clearly, they were prepared 
for Florida. And Florida's offense, especially Kerry Blackshear, he's just not clicked yet the way we all thought he would early as a transfer or a veteran guy. Uh, but I think Florida wins this game on the road. I just think they have too many weapons for UConn. I think it'll be a great atmosphere at Gamble. It's the kind of game that UConn, if they could get, will look back later in the season and say, you know what, that's a quad one win that could help us get in the tournament. So there's a lot at stake for the, for the Huskies because they're not going to have as many quad one opportunities. But I think Florida wins this game on the road. Yeah, I, I like that pick too. So that's our weekly picks. But Andy, you know, this is the time of year we see a lot of teams maybe lose a bye game or lose a game they shouldn't lose. Is there any team this week that you're putting on upset alert? Yeah, you know, listen, we've, we had Nichols State beat Pitt, uh, Nebraska, which we knew was going to be rebuilding, but they still lost to UC Riverside and Southern Utah. Those are bye games. Merrimack, which is a, basically just becoming a Division One program, won at Northwestern. And I know Northwestern Nebraska are rebuilding. Um, you know, Pitt thought they'd be much better, and they actually beat Florida State, and they lost to Nickel State. So I got one for you, which is a game between two teams that, at the beginning of the season, fully expect to be in the NCAA tournament. One is Colgate, out of the Patriot League, and the other is Syracuse. Uh, as you know, I was at the Syracuse-Virginia game. Virginia's defense absolutely throttled Syracuse. They shot poorly. They only scored 34 points. Colgate which uh, only beat NJIT by five, still has essentially everyone back from a team that won the Patriots League last season. They can shoot. And, you know, they're the kind of team that really could cause Syracuse problems in their zone. So, even though the game's at the Carrier Dome, Colgate, by the way, not too far away from Syracuse, I kind of like this as putting Syracuse on upset alert. And, you know, this would be tough for Syracuse if they were to drop to 0-2, but... This is the kind of game I would circle and say, you know what? Colgate at Syracuse is a potential upset game this week. Good stuff, Andy. We'll certainly keep an eye on that one. Uh, that's all we've got for week two. He we went four and six week one. We'll see if we can get above 500 in week two, Andy. Well, I appreciate it, Chad. Keep challenging me. Uh, and that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can follow all our content on our social media platforms. We've got the first in-season Power 36. Our player of the week, Cole Anthony from North Carolina. Our team of the week was Kentucky. Uh, as you heard earlier in the podcast, we've got our Cats ranks, our top 10 of the week. So much content coming out this week through this podcast, through our content, when I'm on the road, and various, uh, we're just on top of everything, you know, when there's big upsets around the country. So keep following us on March Madness on Twitter and NCAA.com, of course, as well. Chad, appreciate it. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening. Thank you.